0: You're listening to a message preached at Front Range Baptist Church by Pastor Dean Miller. It is our prayer that this message will be a help and encouragement to you in your spiritual walk. Now, here's Pastor Miller. Acts chapter 18 this morning. For those of you who've been with us in our study through the book of Acts, we've been preaching through this wonderful book because our desire is to be a first century church in the 21st century. I, I have no desire to be a 21st century church. I want to be a first century church like Jesus started, and we, wanted, we want to serve the Lord in the way that Jesus uh, has taught us. And so, we're studying the book of Acts to find out what that church looks like. What does that church do? What does that church look like? And this morning, I want to read a passage of scripture here that we studied somewhat last week. Paul was in Corinth. Uh, he had come to this great city in ki. And uh, Corinth was a port city, sitting on that little isthmus, that little, that little gap of land, three and a half miles wide. It was a city known for its, its wickedness. It was a vile, wicked, evil city. In all of the Greek and Roman plays, if someone were to play a Corinthian, they were always drunk. It was just synonymous with Corinth, that they were debauched. They were drunken, they were living in gross sin. If you called somebody a Corinthian, or if you said to somebody, you're acting the Corinthian, that was the equivalent of cursing somebody out. That was a height of an insult. And so, Paul finds himself here, and he finds himself in this wicked city, and you would think that Paul would want to get out of this town as quickly as possible. He came to Berea, and they were noble people who wanted to study the Scriptures daily. And Paul left there very quickly. Paul gets to Corinth in this city that is so debauched, and he stays there 18 months. And uh, Paul is about to leave, and he gathers up the cute couple, Aquila and Priscilla. And they sail across. They're cute because their names rhyme. And they're in the same little business together. They make tents and leather stuff. And they're just a cute little couple. I, I don't know. I can't wait to get to heaven and see Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, I have in my mind what they look like. And I think you do too. But but uh, here they are, that little cute couple. When you saw one, you saw the other and and so forth. And and so, uh, uh, Paul gathers them up and they sail from Corinth up to Ephesus, which is a chief city in the whole province of Asia, or Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Ephesus was a huge city, about 300,000 people. Very much like Corinth in some aspects, and very much like Athens in another aspect of idol worship, it was an ungodly city as well, very idolatrous. And Paul gets there. Aquila and Priscilla begin to set up shop. there. They buy a house. They're they're looking for getting their business started. And Paul goes into the synagogue, and he goes in there like he always does and begins to reason with them. And they say, hey, stay with us. We want to hear more about this Jesus. And Paul does the unthinkable. I mean, he's never had that kind of a reception in the synagogue. And Paul says, nope, I got to go. And so, here's where we are. I want you to see this in Acts chapter 18. The Bible says in verse number 19 that... He came to Ephesus and left them there, but he, reasoned, but he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. And when they desired him, and by the way, this reasoning that he was doing, you'll always see Paul reasoning with the Jews. And what this reasoning was, is he was taking it to what we do in our preaching. It's taking a passage of Scripture And then making the reasonable case for that passage of Scripture. It's it's the art of preaching. It's it's reasoning through the Scripture. So, what Paul would have done is Paul would have taken these Jews to Genesis chapter 3. And he would have said, Adam and Eve are standing before God. They have just been found out in their sin. God did not kill them, but he did slay the animal. He shed the blood, and then he covered them in the coats of that animal. And the Jews would have said, yeah, that's right. So they're covered, they're covered in the death of a substitute. And then in his prophecy, Paul would have pointed out, in God's prophecy he says to Adam and Eve that one day the seed of the woman would crush the serpent's head. So one day there would be one who was born of a woman who would destroy the seed of the serpent. Now, now listen, this had boggled the Jews for years. For centuries, for millennia, the Jews could not understand God saying the seed of a woman. Because women don't have seed. The man has the seed. The wife provides the egg, and that's fertilized, and conception is made, and then a birth. So how can a woman have seed? Well, this was a, this was a prophecy of the virgin birth of Christ. One that was going to be born of woman without a man who could have the nature of God and yet the nature of man he could be all man and all God without sin and he could be the lamb of God to take away the sin of the world and Paul began to reason with them right here this is the virgin birth of Christ and he took them all through their he took them all through their old testament writings and all the things that pointed to Christ <laughs> i would have loved to heard that that's one of the things i get so mad about luke i'm like luke why didn't you just give us one of those sermons You just said he reasoned with them. And what Luke is really saying is, well, the Holy Spirit told me to write that so that you'd go in the Old Testament and you'd reason. (laughs) So, you go search the scriptures. So, this is what Paul's doing. And Paul gets there, and these people are seeing Christ in the Old Testament for the first time. They're hearing it, and they ask Paul to stay. Now, watch this. The Bible says in verse 20, when they desired him to tarry longer time with them, he consented not. Now, Paul's never had a reception like this in the synagogue ever. And now these guys are like, Paul, stay here and tell us more about this. And Paul said, no, I can't. Why? Verse 21. But he bade them farewell, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem. But I will return again unto you, if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. Sometimes I think we read things in the scripture and we pass over them as though they were just something insignificant. And I touched on this at the end of the message last week. And the Holy Spirit would not let this go this week. I, I want to preach for just a minute. The only way to live. The only way to live. Paul had an opportunity to preach the gospel to these people in this synagogue. And Paul says, no, I'll come back later and do that. And every bit of my evangelistic fiber, my soul-winning spirit says, Paul, what's a a little bit of time to preach to these guys? Take the time. They're hungry to hear. And Paul says, no, I'm going to come back later if God will. And what I've been arrested about that all week long, I've, I've wrestled with this of how few of God's people live in God's will. And as I begin to pray on this and study this, I begin to search the scriptures about living in God's will. All of us are interested in the future. Every one of us are. We we study what's going on in the world. We make assumptions about what the days ahead hold. And we all are looking at the future. And I want to tell you, I know people who can tell me what's going to happen in the next 15 years. And in reality, they have no idea what's going to happen in the next 15 minutes. We're all interested in our own futures. What, What does our life hold for us? But I believe we make some serious mistakes in our own futures and our lives and our planning. And by the way, listen, this is this is mistakes made by well-intentioned people. People who mean to do well, that think they're going to do well, but end up missing on what is best because they miss the will of God. And I want you just to draw a circle around yourself. Listen, I've had people asking me this week, hey, what about these revivals going on? And um asbury kentucky and different college campuses and so forth are are these real moves of god and and here's what i have to say i hope so i pray so we've been praying for revival have we not And, and here's my here's my wrestling my wrestling is not god is that revival there i've been drawing a circle around me this week saying god send revival here in this circle I want, I want to know you in a new and fresh way. I want my heart to be convicted of sin. I want my, my life to be lived in an awe of God and an awareness of Christ and the life of Christ in me. Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. We, we want that. But I believe many well-intentioned people miss what God has for us because it isn't according to our plan. Let me show you what I'm talking about today. You, you know, many of us want to say, well, you know, pastor, are you in the will of God? And I want to say to you, are you in the will of God? Uh, I need to know that I'm in God's will and you need to know that you're in God's will. Doc, Doc Risma was singing this this morning and I was thinking, I'd, that was a, I'd never heard him sing that song before. It was a great song and it encouraged my heart. But while he was Singing that. I was just thinking back of what the Lord did. Those of you that don't know, Doc Risman is Filipino. And uh, man, we can talk about Filipino food, right? And uh, I remember back in 2018 when God began to stir in my heart an unsettledness about what my life held. I was pastoring a church. My wife and I had come to that church at 30 years of age with three little girls. And we had seen souls saved and people beginning to disciple and a church growing leaps and bounds and God doing great things in people's lives. And, I, and I, we had were, we were, been there um, over a decade and, and, and really praying about what our future was. And I remember in 2018 when God began to stir my heart And I had an unsettledness in my soul. And I had all kinds of things. I had a five year vision, a 10 year vision, and things that we were going to do. We'd already remodeled all of our auditorium. We'd remodeled our nurseries and other areas. And I had ideas of what we were going to do and what we were going to build and how we were going to reach the city and ministries that we were going to start and had all of these things. And God said, "Uh, No, I'm moving you from here. And I said, Well, where are we going? I, I really thought I was going to the Philippines. I'd been down there a number of times. I'd been preaching through the Philippines. I loved the Filipino people. Listen, I would preach the same sermons in the Philippines, and hundreds of people would get saved, and thousands more would show up that night. I preached that same sermon in America, and people were going, what time? are we gonna, We're going to miss the buffet. I mean, people were riding. People were hanging on to jeepneys. You know, riding through the jungles and on the streets. And listen, when you ride on a street in the Philippines, you are taking your life in your own hands. I'm just telling you, if you survive where you're going, if you survive the trip, you're rewarded by the food. The food's amazing. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And the people are fun. They're just a blast. And I thought maybe the Lord was taking us there. I didn't know where God was taking us. I said, Lord, where are we going? And and then he said, Colorado. Colorado. (laughs) And I said, okay, here we go. Now, for those of us to think that we can plan our life out, I've had plans and I'm for planning. But there's one thing that you better know is that you're in the will of God. And you better better understand that well-intentioned, as well-intentioned as it is, if it's not God's intention, is wrong. And Paul leaves this place on the, on the understanding of if God wills. And I don't believe he just threw that as a byline or a tagline. I believe that was a founding principle of Paul's life. When Paul was saved at the road of Damascus, he said, Lord, right there, he confessed with his mouth the Lord Jesus. You are master. You are Adonai. You are my Lord and my master. And then he said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The very beginning of Paul's Christian life was an act of surrender and yieldedness to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And Paul lived out in his life I want to do the will of God. Look with me in your Bible this morning to James chapter 4. And I'm going to tell you an interesting story here in James chapter 4. And then we'll go home. James chapter 4. Verse number 13, the Bible says, Go to now ye that say, Today or tomorrow... We will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain, whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is what, church? Sin. To him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. James is going to tell us a story about this businessman who sits down to go about his business And he makes three critical mistakes that I believe so many well-intentioned Christians are making today. Number one, he makes self-centered plans. All of his plans are centered on what he is going to do with his life. Notice what he says. Look look what he does. I I want you to go in this businessman's office with me today and, and sit down. Come with me and James and come sit down and let's look at this businessman's desk real quick. Look at verse number 13. He says, all right, everybody gather around, those of you that say today or tomorrow we're going to do this or this. He said, we're going to go into such a city, and we're going to continue there a year, buy and sell and get gain. I want you to see the things that are on this man's desk. Number one, he's got his calendar out. You see it? See his calendar? And he's got his pencil sharp, and he's drawn a line through his calendar for 365 days. And he's, he's, given his, he's given this calendar, not 364, not 366, 365 days for this year, I'm, I'm going to do this. So, he's got his calendar out, and he's planned his time. Not only that, he's got a map out, and he's and he circled a city on there. He said, I'm going to go to th- such a city. I'm going to this city. Because I've got my degree in business, I've got my degree in marketing, I know what's selling and what's hot, so I'm going to this city for this amount of time. And so, he's got his calendar, he's got his map, and then he's got his little business plan out there. He's got that laid out in front of him, he's got his business plan out, and he said, I'm going to go buy this, and I'm going to go there and sell it for this, and I'm going to make a profit. That's what he says. Look at verse 13. He says, I'm going to go into such a city, that's his map. I'm going to continue there for a year. That's his calendar. I'm going to buy and sell. That's his business plan. And I'm going to get gain. I'm going to make money on this. And listen, I know that in this city, widgets are the hot things. And they make widgets in this city, so I'm going to buy widgets. I'm going to go to this city, and I'm going to sell widgets, and I'm going to tell you, I can buy them for $3 a widget. I can sell them in that city for $6 a widget. I am going to come out with good profits. If I do that for a year, I mean, think about the money. So now, he's got his calendar out. He's got his map out. He's got his business plan out. And he's got his calculator out. And he knows, I'm going to buy this. I'm going to sell it for that. And I'm going to make money. Man, don't you wish you knew that you could do that for a year? I, I wish I could sit down at my desk and look at a year and say, this year is going to be very profitable. Well, that's what this guy was doing. I'm going here. I'm buying this, I'm selling that in this place for this amount of money, and I'm going to get gain. All of his plans were self-serving. Now let me just give you a couple things I want you to understand. God is not condemning planning. In fact, God encourages planning. God tells us to go to the ant and look at the ant. The ant has no overseer or guide, and yet the ant stores up in the summer so it has enough food for the winter. The ant is a planner. And God says that we're sluggards if we don't plan and we don't work. And so, God's not against planning. He encourages planning. God's not against business. In fact, God encourages business. And In Romans chapter 13, he tells us to be fervent in business. I mean, when you put your hand to something, you do it. God wants you to work. Listen, God wants you to go to work tomorrow, and He wants you to work a full day's work, uh, a full day's labor for a full day's pay. He wants you to work. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. God is for business. God encourages business, and God is, God is for hard work. Well, I wish we'd have some, some of that in our, in our government today, don't you? That we would award hard work. Today, we're taking from those who work and giving it to those who refuse to work. And by the way, the government can't give you anything it didn't take from somebody else. The government owes nothing. They own nothing. They think they own it, but they don't own it. So, if the government is going to give to one, it has to take from another. So, I'm going to tell you something. Any of those things the government promises to somebody else on the back of someone else is nothing more than theft. God is opposed to that. If a man doesn't work, he shouldn't eat. God is not against business. God's not against planning. God encourages business. God encourages planning. God's not against profit. The Bible says in the book of Deuteronomy that it's the Lord that gives you power to get wealth. The Lord tells us to be, to, to, to work and earn. In fact, do you, remember the, do you remember the parables that Jesus gave on a couple of occasions when Jesus said, hey, there was a guy who had three servants, and he gave to this one ten talents, this one five talents, this one one talent. This guy went and buried it in the ground, didn't have anything. This guy made the five ten, this guy made the ten twenty, and when the master came back, he said to the one that had the ten that made it twenty, I'm going to give you all these things. When he gave to the guy that had five and made it ten, I'm going to give you these things. And he said, the other one, where's, your, where's yours? He said, well… I buried it in the ground, and he condemned him. He condemned him because that man was slothful in his business. He wasn't understanding how to take what he had been given and to utilize it and to multiply it, and it was bad stewardship. Profit is good stewardship. So, God's not against us. So, what, what's the problem with this story then? What's wrong with this man who has his calendar out, his business plan out, his map out, his calculator out, his pencil sharp, making his self-centered plans? What's wrong with this guy? <laughs> God's not against planning. God's against planning without him. If God is left out of your plans and your business and your profits, then that's the problem. See, the Bible says a fool says in his heart that there is no God. And we would all agree with that. Amen? A fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. But let me tell you a bigger fool than that fool. A bigger fool is the guy who says there is a God and then lives like there isn't. The bigger fool is somebody who says, I'm going to go to church because I believe in God, but then I'm going to go do my business as though there isn't a God. And I'm going to cut corners, and I'm going to... Live slothfully, and I'm going to be haphazard in my business, or I'm going to do what I want to do with it, and we divide our lives into the sacred and to the secular. We come to church and we worship. God, I worship you. I love you. And then we go home, and we go about our own life without God included in our plans. Do Do you know what the greatest mission field in all the world is? The greatest mission field in all the world is where God's people go to work on Monday morning. many of us have divided our life from the sacred to the secular, and we have our sacred life and our church life, and then we have our life outside of that. Listen, you, you, if you belong to Jesus Christ, everything you do is sacred, and every, you're to do everything you do as unto the Lord. Even if, you have a, even if you have a boss or a manager that is mean and unwarranted, and you think, man, I can't stand that person. Well, the Bible says, then you go to work tomorrow, and you serve them as though they were the Lord. And do it heartily as unto the Lord. <laughs> and you turn, your, you turn your job into ministry. That I'm doing this as unto the Lord. You see, this is what Paul said. If God wills. This is what James says. What we should say is if the Lord wills. That's a big if. That's a huge If. That means we better be seeking the mind of the Lord. Let me, let me give you some verses to write down. You don't have to turn to all these, but you can jot these down. I think it would be helpful for you to study later. But in Psalm 32 and verse 8, the Bible says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Listen, God made a promise in, Psalm, in, this, in this verse, in Psalm 32, 8. God made a promise here that he's going to guide you and teach you in the way you should go. And that he'll guide you with his eye. How you should walk. You say, how does somebody guide with an eye? If you have to ask that question, you've never either had a mother or a wife. (laughs) My mother could say more with her eyes than a preacher could say in a thousand sermons. I remember one time I was, I don't know what happened, I got with one of my buddies in church and I I was down here, I was about third grade, and my mom and I always sat in the third row right down here where Doc Russell sits. We always sat right there on that third row spot. I always sat with my mom. And somehow I got with one of my buddies and I was in the back of the church and we were cutting up back there and the choir was up here and my mother had a beautiful alto voice and she was standing in the choir and I will never forget, I was standing back there and I felt like somebody had turned the furnace on. Like it was hot in here, and now I am a third-grade kid. I'm laughing with my buddy. (laughs) We're playing around. And all of a sudden, I just feel this source of heat. And I just remember like laughing, ha, 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 and I saw my mother in the choir loft. And she said things with her eyes I cannot repeat with my mouth. (laughs) But I want to tell you one thing, that third-grade kid in the back of that church knew that his mother had just told him, I'm going to kill you. And no one's ever going to find your body. <laughs> and you know what else she told me? She told me with her eyes that I better be in that seat by the time she gets out of that choir. And let me tell you something. I was in that seat by the time she got out of that choir. He said, how would you know that's what she wanted you to do? She said it with her eyes. And you know, God has said, I'll guide you with my eye. I'll guide you with my eye. God said he'll guide you. Listen to this. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 21. And thine ears shall hear a word behind thee saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. When you turn to the right hand or turn to the left hand. Uh, The Bible says that there's just something about the Holy Spirit that walks with the believer and says, hey, this is the way, this is the way, this is the way, I'm guiding your steps, I'm guiding your steps. You say, well, he doesn't speak to me like that. Are you listening? That's like somebody right now when we get quiet in here saying there's no music in this room. There is so much noise and music in this room. There are some of the most beautiful chords of music being played and some of the most vile words of music being played, and they're all around us right now. You say, Well, how can I hear them? You don't have the radio on. But the minute you tune into them, you can hear all that music that's flying around you. Many believers never hear the Lord speak because they're not tuned in. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. John chapter 16 and verse 13, Jesus said of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth is come and he will guide thee into all truth. He will guide thee. Let me give you this. Romans chapter 8 verse 14, and as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Listen to me very carefully. I'm talking about in your education. You young people, in your education, you can be led of God in your education. You can know the will of God in your business and be led of God in your business. You can know the will of God in your marriage and be led of God. How to, how to be properly married. You can, lead, you can be led of God in your reactions to what's going on around you. And Listen, you can be led of God in your friendships and all your relationships around you, your coworkers. We need some people who understand that God leads His people and directs us. In every step of life. Listen, you might be in a relationship today and think, man, this is a wonderful person. This is a wonderful guy. This is a wonderful girl. This is the girl I want to be with. Well, the question you need to ask is, is it who God wants me to be with? Now, if you're already married, the answer is yes. (laughs) What God has joined together, let not man put us under. Being in the will of God. You say well how can I hear him? Well, let me just give you three quick things. Number 1, you need to have a clean heart. Confess your sins to the Lord. Lord, forgive me if there's anything that that separates my soul from the Savior, from hearing you. The Bible says that my sins have separated me from my God. I can't hear you because of sin in my life. Lord, I confess my sin. Be faithful and just to forgive me of that sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. If you'll confess your sin, you'll clear the way for God to speak to you. And then it takes something else. It takes consecration. You're not gonna hear the Lord until you're yielded to the Lord. Lord, cleanse me. And then, Lord, I'm yielding myself. I'm consecrating myself to you. And then the third thing is it takes concentration. You say, what do you mean? It means you have to hear the Lord every day. Get up every day and listen for the Lord. Listen for him. As you're going through the day, pray through the day. About all things, pray. And God will direct your steps. So here's the problem with this guy. The number one mistake that he made, was he was self-centered. Number two mistake that he made was he was self-confident. You say, well, how is that a bad thing? Again, the Lord wants us to walk in confidence, but confidence in Him. And this, 1 John chapter 5, verse 14, and this is the confidence that we have in Him. Paul said in Romans chapter number uh, 7, there is in me that is in my flesh no good thing. The only thing that's good in me is Christ in me. And so, we have to, this man was living in self confidence. I'll tell you what self-confidence will do. Self-confidence will lead you to presumption. Look look at verse 14. He said, you you got all this stuff. You got your calendar, your map, all of this stuff out, but you don't even know what's on the morrow. What is your life? It is but a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Your life is nothing more than the steam from the the, the tea kettle. Your, your, Your life is nothing more than on a cold winter day when you breathe out to see that breath of life come out and it appears for a moment and then it is gone. It's here for the moment and it's gone. It doesn't matter if it's 80 years or 90 years or 100 years. Life is such a brief thing. Life is brief. And this man presumed that he had a year to live and had no idea what tomorrow would hold. I got finished preaching on a Sunday night years ago in Mississippi, and I went back to my office, and it was a message I had heavy on my heart. I didn't want to preach it, but it was was a message that was a pastor's message to the church. We need to get this right. And it's like a dad scolding the family. And so I went back and I sat in my office for a minute. and I just had that wait. And I just prayed, Lord, I hope they understand. I hope that they know my heart. And there was a knock on my door. And I opened the door and one of the most godly men you would ever want to know in your life was standing at my door. And he threw his arms around me. And tears coming down his face, he said, Pastor, we needed that tonight. He said, I'm so burdened for my son. If he keeps going the way he's going, he doesn't have long to live. He needs to hear this message. He needs, to hear. He needs you, Pastor. Please reach out to my son. He doesn't have long to live. I pray with that man, he left my office. That week, I got a phone call. I picked up the phone. The voice on the other end said, do you know a mister? And they called this man's name, and I said, I do. And they said, we're calling from this hospital. We, we have him here, and he is deceased. I'll never forget those words ringing in my ears. Pastor, pray for my son. He's not going to live long. And here was a man concerned for his son who thought, my son is going in a direction, his life is going to be short, who didn't even know he had just a few days to live. Thankfully, God got a hold of his son. Son's still living. Here's what I want to tell you today. We don't know how long we have left to live. What is your life? It is but a vapor. Self-confidence causes you to presume upon life. There are some things that we ought to say to other people that we haven't said yet. We think we'll do it next year. We'll do it in time. You may not have time. We presume on life. Proverbs 27 and verse number 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. I think about the foolish farmer that Jesus told us about in Luke chapter 12 who had a bumper crop and he packed his barns full and he stood there looking at his barns busting at the seams and he said, Oh, look what I have! I'm going to have to tear these barns down and build bigger barns. I've got all the money I need. I have everything I need for the rest of my life. All I'm going to have to do now is eat, drink, and be merry. I have enough treasure laid up for all of my life. And the Lord said to that farmer, thou fool, tonight thy soul shall be required of thee. This man had made all of his plans. He had his retirement together. He had all of his plans for the rest of his life. The problem was as he was working off the wrong clock. We presume upon life. We only have one life to live and a life lived for self and life lived in self-confidence is a life wasted. What does God want you to do? What is the will of God? for your life what is god's plan for you why did god make you in his image and give you life and breath why does god know the numbers of hair on your head why does god mind you and care for you and pursue you some of you've been wandering from god you haven't been in his word you've not been praying you've not been living for him and god pursues you he still speaks to you He woos you and longs for you. He loves you. Why does he do that? Because God has a plan for you. And we just presume that one day I'll do it. Do what God wants you to do today. And then let me say this lastly. Here's the third mistake this man made. Number one was in self centeredness and he planned for himself. Number two, he was self confident and he presumed upon life. Number three, he was, I don't even know if this is a good term, but just to keep it somewhat in order, but he was self, had self-complacency. Look, look what the Bible said here in this passage of Scripture. He said, what you ought to have said, verse 15, is if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Now, ye rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. What? It's evil for me to make my own plan apart from God? It's evil for me to have all these things that I want to do with my life and God not included? See, what many of us want to do is we want to make a plan and then we want God to bless it. God, I'm going to do this with my life and then I just want you to check off the approval. And God is saying, no, I made you and I know what I made you for. And if, and if you were smart enough to know what you really wanted in life, you would choose my will, because you were made for it. But we presume upon that, and we, we're just complacent. And so, here's what this man did. You know, what, you know what I think complacency does for so many of us? It leads to procrastination. <laughs> We're not doing the things that we know to do. Watch verse number 17. Therefore to him that knoweth. So so therefore is the application. Here's the application. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not. To him it is sin. This man knew what he ought to do. But he didn't do what he ought to do. And in its place, he was going to do what he wanted to do. I'm going here for a year to buy and sell and get gain and when i get back i'll do what i should do i have time to do that this man was aware that god had a will but he didn't want to do it now that's the point that james is making here that this man knew that god had a will but i'll do it later you young people, listen to me, you young people, don't you spend your young life, your teenage years, your college-age years, sowing wild oats and then praying through your 30s that you'll have crop failure. Don't, don't go live for you today and then God later. You may not have time to live for later. And by the way, listen to me, listen to me, you'll do some things living for yourself in your teens and 20s that God will forgive you for, but nature won't. God always forgives, nature never does. There are sins that will hold us captive in our addictions. There are sins that put us in our bondage. There are things that go with us into our futures, that we drag into our futures with us. And one of the saddest things in the world that we have to live with are the consequences of forgiven sins. This man knew what he should do, but he didn't do it. And I want to charge you today that many of us in churches, if I were to preach on drunkenness, we'd be saying amen. If I were to preach on adultery, we'd say amen, Pastor, that's right. If I were to preach on the sins of our culture and where our society is erring and all the things that we're doing as a, as a nation that are a sin against God, we would stand on the chair perhaps, well, maybe not here, but in some churches we'd stand on the chair and wave our Bibles and say amen. But I want to tell you, we, we would be in agreement with that. But when I say that the sins of omission are greater than the sins of commission, okay, okay, what do I mean by that? I mean the sins that are committed by what we didn't do are sins greater than the sins committed by what we did do. You say, how do you know that? Explain that. Well, the sin of omission is greater than the sin of commission. Why? Because if you're doing what you ought to do, you won't be doing what you ought not to do. What was a greater sin? A man not loving his wife as Christ loved the church or that man committing adultery. The man that committed adultery actually sinned a greater sin in not loving the wife that God gave him as Christ loved the church. And because he omitted that, he committed that. And the things that we're not doing in our lives have greater consequences than the things that we do. I want to say that the sin of omission is always deemed a respectable sin. (laughs) I mean, you can't see if I'm not doing what God is telling me to do. You can't see. I, I might look like I'm doing exactly what I should be doing today, but I could be out of the will of God this morning. You could walk out of here today and say, Wow, the preacher preached a fine sermon this morning, but it wasn't the sermon that God wanted me to preach, and I knew that, and I omitted that and preached something else. And it was a respectable sin. I did something good in place of doing what was right. Are you following me today? Let me tell you why men go to hell. Men don't go to hell because they drink and smoke and cuss and commit adultery. Men don't go to hell. The Bible says very clearly in John chapter 3 that he that believeth not is condemned already for the wrath of God abideth on him. That man is going to hell because of one thing. He didn't believe. There's only one sin that God will not forgive and that is the sin of unbelief. God can forgive you of anything except for unbelief. Who's in hell today? Uh, Are there drunkards in hell today? Yes. Are there adulterers in hell today? Yes. Are there fornicators in hell today? Yes. Are there liars in hell today? Yes. Are there church members in hell today? Yes. Are there religious people in hell today? Yes. Are there people who gave themselves for good causes and philanthropists and, man, generous charity owners? Are there people that were respectable people in hell today? Yes. Well, why were they in hell? They did good. No one's in hell because of the sins of commission. They're in hell because they refuse to believe on him. I saw a track many years ago on one side of the track. It said, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. I flipped it over and I said, what must I do to be lost? And there was nothing there. The message of that track was plain. Do nothing and you're lost. Do nothing and you're lost. What must I do to be saved? Believe and thou shalt be saved. James is making the point that Paul lived out in practice. We saw this in practice in the book of Acts, that God has a will and a plan. And God's people, God's people, are to be obedient and yielded to the will of God. And so many of the things that we do and say are outside of the will of God. And there are so many things that are being committed as sin based on what's not being done more than what is being done. God's people know to do good and do it not. You say, Pastor, what's the message today? Uh, The message is this. God has a will for you. God has a plan for you. You say, well, what is that plan? Well, let me me tell you, there is a universal plan that God has for every person's life. God has a will for every person's life. You say, what is the will of God for every person in this room? Number one, it is to be saved. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. The Bible says that God would have all men everywhere to be saved. (laughs) <laughs> whosoever will may come. Listen, God wants to save you today. It's God's will for you to be saved. You can't sit back on the sideline one day and, and go to hell and blame God for it. You can't ever stand before God and say, well, you didn't choose me. No, God chose you in Christ at Calvary. And there's enough redemption in Jesus Christ to save every man who's ever lived. There was enough Perfection in his blood to cover every sin that's ever been committed by all men of all time. His death was sufficient to cover sin and pay the penalty of sin. Amen. And God is not willing that any should perish. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants you to be saved. It's God's will that you be saved. And then it's God's will that you live a sanctified life, a life set apart for God. The Bible says abstain from fornication, and your sanctification. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. It's God's will that all of us live a sanctified life. And it's God's will that we live a surrendered life. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God wants you to be surrendered to him. If you're not saved, you need to be saved today. If you are saved, but you're not living a sanctified, set-apart life for the Lord, you need to get that right. Confess it. Whatever's in your life between you and him, get it out. And if you're living in your own will, self-centeredness, self-confidence, living a life that is complacent, I'll do it later. He that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. Yield yourself to him and say, Lord, what is your will for me? You know what I marvel at? I marvel at two things. I marvel at the holiness and the awesomeness of God, of who he is. You look at the infinite universe and God knows every star by name. He measured out the heavens in the span of his hand. He's so infinite and awesome and glorious and holy and I marvel at that. And the second thing I marvel at is that God loves me and has a plan for my life. Sometimes I've stood out in a starlit night and I've looked at those stars and I've said, God, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Why would you even How would you even visit me, speak to me, use me and guide me? And who am I to say to the creator, I'll do my own thing? I marvel that God would speak to me, use me. We need to be in the will of God today. There's the only way to live is in the will of God. If you're not saved today, you need to be saved. Come to Jesus with all your heart. Come to him by faith, receiving and believing on him. If you're not surrendered to the Lord, surrender it to the Lord today. Our Father, I pray this morning that you would use this message in every heart in a way that only you can speak to every individual. Lord, I can speak to the crowd, but you can speak to the person. And you can tell them exactly what they needed to hear from you. I pray that we would leave here without one shadow of a doubt that we've heard from the Lord. And I pray that, Lord, right now you would give grace in the conviction of sinners that they would come to Christ and be saved. And that your people would seek your will, that we would be Apostle Paul's, Running around this world following the leadership of the Lord in everything that we do. Our heads are bowed for just a moment. Friend, I want to pray for you today. I've already prayed for you, but I don't- I want to pray more specifically. How many of you would say, Pastor Miller, I need to be saved. I need to have my sins forgiven, and I need to trust Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I need to be saved. I am not saved, and God has spoken to my heart today. I need to be saved. Would you just quietly slip your hand right up where you are? I'm not going to walk down to you. I'm not going to shake your hand. I'm not going to call a scene, but I want to pray for you. God bless you. Who else would say, Pastor Miller, I, I don't know that I'm saved. Just slip your hand way up high, way up high. God bless you. I see your hand. Who else? God bless you. I see your hand. So wonderful. God's dealing with your heart right now. Let's be honest about it. It's okay. If you don't know, it's okay, because I got good news for you. You can know. And we're ready to show you how to know. And I want to pray for you today. Who else would say, Pastor Miller, I'm not saved today. God has spoken to my heart. I need to be saved. God bless you. I see your hand. I see your hand. God bless you. Father, I pray for these who've just raised their hands. Lord, I've seen their hands, but you've seen their heart. And Lord, I pray that they would have that mustard seed of faith to take a step towards the Lord today. Lord, if we come to you, you'll come to us, and you promised to save us. I pray for them that they would respond by faith. Those of you that just raised your hand, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to slip out from your seat and walk right to the back. We've got men and ladies right back there. They're waiting for you. And... We're going to have a time of prayer here as God's people, but we want you to go meet with them. They're going to take the Bible and show you how you can be saved. And I can promise you the authority of this, of God's word today. If you'll come to Jesus, he will in no wise cast you out. He will save you today. If you'll come do not be ashamed of him. He was not ashamed of you. Don't be ashamed of him. Now, how many of us would say, Pastor Miller, God has spoken to my heart today. In one way or another, in the message, God made very clear to me some things personal in my life that God put his finger on today. He spoke to me personally. And I'm admitting that because there's something I need to do about it. Would you slip your hand way up high? God has spoken to my heart today. God bless you. God bless you. Let's all stand quietly. If you're able to stand with me, would you stand quietly? The piano's gonna play. If you raised your hand to be saved, I want you to just slip right out of your seat. Maybe maybe someone who brought you will come with you. Just slip right out from where you are. And let let someone take the Bible and show you how to be saved. God bless you. God bless you. They'll meet you there, just simply say, I'm coming to receive Christ, and they'll take you through some scriptures, introduce you to Jesus, seal that with prayer today. Gracious Heavenly Father, I pray this morning as we conclude this service today, Lord, the invitation is never over. We never close the invitation. So if there's yet someone here that doesn't know Christ, I pray that before they leave this place today, they would get it settled, that they would have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, found forgiveness of sin. May no one say no to you. Father, it's so easy for us to have this thing figured out. We, we can so easily figure our lives out today. We've got our planners and our politics. We've got all of the things that we think figured out. But Lord, we so oftentimes run our lives without you. And Lord, I pray that we would be reminded today that you have bought us, you have paid for us, you have given us new life, and we belong to you. And Lord, we have been set free from our own wills to do the will of God. We we can live the highest life and enjoy the greatest joys and accomplish the greatest things. By following the will of God. Lord may we be surrendered to that today. I pray for your people. Lord encourage us. May we not be afraid of what's going on in the world. May we not find ourselves intimidated. But may we recognize that you have us here. For such a time as this. And if we would be your people. Led by your spirit. Doing your will. Oh how you could use us in the world today lord help us i pray to see it by faith in jesus name and all god's people said and thank you for being faithful